Well, let's go before the Lord once again and ask him to just honor our time this morning. Father, we thank you that we can be together to open your word. But we know that without you superintending our time in our own hearts, our minds, and together as a gathering, that we would know nothing of you. And so we ask, Lord, by the power of your spirit, through the superintending of your spirit, the illumining of your spirit in our hearts and minds, that we would understand what you are saying to us and then begin to put it into practice in our lives and the implications of what these truths say. Thank you for this this morning. To your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come to our time in the Word of God this morning, I, I want to do something a bit different in light of the fact that today is Father's Day. I did that on Mother's Day as well. I want to just take a moment this morning and address primarily us as men, but but not just us as men, because that certainly what I'm going to say doesn't mean that simply the women can check out or that those who are not fathers can simply disengage in their own hearts and minds as to what is being said, because what we are talking about this morning are universal principles, universal truths. Why do I say that? Because all of us have influence. You notice the title of this message this morning in your bulletin is the way to guarantee that you raise a fool. Another way that we can think about that is simply this, being a fool and ensuring to raise another. In other words, in our own life, being foolish and ensuring by that that we raise another. Some of us certainly here today are not fathers. Some of us are not grandfathers. Some of us are not great-grandfathers, but there are times in our life that we will be, and in the case of our own life, certainly have others under us whereby they are influenced we have influence upon others. It doesn't matter at what stage of life we are in. I have several grandchildren, and even from the smallest to the oldest, there is one above them who has influence upon them in ways that are good and ways that are not so good. And so the things that we are talking about this morning are profitable for all of us, no matter what stage of life we are in. Of course, as the father of three grown children, my youngest now being in their 30s, my wife and I have rapidly entered the phase known as grandparenting. I joke with my wife from time to time saying to her, I can't believe I'm married to a grandmother. <laughs> to which she says, whatever, old man. <laughs> Seriously, it seems a bit odd to me to think of myself as a grandparent. I don't really ponder too often the whole age thing. Age never really has been much in my mind, although I did say to a friend the other day, you realize in 11 years I'll be 70. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, you're old. I said, yes, I am. My body continues to keep telling me that. But I don't really ponder it often, the whole age thing. Age is a funny thing. Going, growing old doesn't really bother me. But what I do think of often is the heritage that will be left behind when I'm gone. What, what's going to be left of value from my life when I'm gone? Several years ago, I was listening to the radio when Paul Harvey was still living. You know Paul Harvey as 
the newsman who used to give us the rest of the story. And he was giving a description about fatherhood and what it means when you're a father and yet your day comes when everything is left behind and what you leave to those left behind. He said it this way, quote, a father is a creature that is forced to endure childbirth without an anesthetic. A father growls when he feels good and laughs when he's scared half to death. A father never feels worthy of the worship in a child's eyes. He never is quite the hero his daughter thinks him to be, never quite the man his son believes him to be, and this worries him, at least sometimes. So he works too hard to try to smooth the rough places in the road for those of his own who will follow him. A father gets very angry when the school grades aren't as good as he thinks they should be, and so he scolds his children, though he knows it's really the teacher's fault. A father gives his daughter away to another man who is not nearly good enough so he can have grandchildren who are actually smarter than anybody else's. And a father makes bets with insurance companies about who will live the longest. And one day, he loses. And the bet is paid off to those he leaves behind. Unquote. It's an interesting perspective on life, especially about the legacy or what a father leaves behind. Because in the end, to the world, to those who aren't part of the Christian reality in truth, it all boils down to simply leaving some lump sum of money to those who are left behind. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, as we sit here today and many of us proclaim and profess to be, then we know that while that kind of thing might be helpful in some economic way for those whom we leave behind, the real and lasting legacy to leave behind has nothing to do with economics at all. The real legacy to leave behind far outvalues any sum of money the real legacy to leave behind is a godly example and a godly progeny that follows you. In other words, it's ensuring that the ones who personally are under the influence of us by our care and our input, those within our home and within our spheres of influence, whether we are fathers or not, that they hear the truth concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they learn how that relationship affects every other area of life. In fact, to do the opposite, or to neglect that task in any way, is described by one very descriptive word in the Scriptures. That word... The <coughs> sorry, that describes that is the word fool. Fool. The word fool in all of its various forms in the Scriptures is found 187 times, and 75 of those times it is found in the book known as the Book of Wisdom. More times than any other place in all of Scripture, the fool is talked about in the book of Proverbs. So when we speak about foolishness in any way, 
Just know this, that 40% of the time that it's spoken about, it speaks about it from the book of Proverbs. And we all know that the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom, or it's part of the wisdom literature of the Scriptures. And wisdom in its simplest form simply means this, skillful living. Wisdom equals skillful living. If we put all of that just in that simplest form all together, then the book of Proverbs is God's counsel to those who are His and to mankind in general, in fact, on how we can live a spiritually and physically successful and skillful life. In a nutshell, how we can live to the glory of God forever. So this morning, for our time together, I want us to just open to the book of Proverbs. We're going to spend our time in Proverbs. We're going to flip to some of those passages. We're going to do, at the end, go to a few passages in the early parts of the Old Testament. But for now, we'll spend our time in the book of Proverbs and look at how we can ensure that we raise fools. You say, wait a minute. Did I hear you correctly? You want us to ensure that we raise fools. Yes, I want us to look this morning at how to raise a fool because sometimes when we hear things in the opposite way, we hear them better. Sometimes when we hear things that contradict what our mind thinks the direction is, we'll hear them better. And so this morning I want us to look and how to be sure we raise a fool. Because I believe that if we see what it is we may already be doing, that we don't know we're doing or we don't think we're doing to raise a fool, then maybe by God's grace we'll change direction so that our example and so our influence will be one that isn't foolish. Some time ago, I spent a few hours one morning going through the book of Proverbs and writing down the characteristics of the fool as described by God. It doesn't take very long. You can just go through all the 30 chapters as we have them in Proverbs, even though we identify them as that. They're not chapters. These are just all the Proverbs that we have in the Scriptures, but we number them for our own help. But anyway, you go through the 30. It doesn't take too long. And in just a short time, I wrote down 50 characteristics, 50 characteristics of a fool that Proverbs just brings out. And this morning, I want to cover those, but not all 50. And you're going, man, I'm glad we're not going to go through 50. No, I want to condense them. I want to condense just some of them into five truths for us to hold on to. Five truths for us to hold on to. Five sure ways to raise a fool. Five ironclad ways to make sure that not only will we be fools ourselves, but if we do them or are doing them, then for sure we are ensuring that those who follow in our footsteps will also, if they follow us, be fools. Lesson number one. Five ways to raise a fool. Lesson number one. Teach those in your sphere of influence, teach those under you 
whether they be your children, your grandchildren, or some in your sphere of influence, teach them to despise wisdom. Number one, teach those in your sphere of influence to despise wisdom. Several places in the book of Proverbs, we are exhorted to love wisdom. Love wisdom. We are exhorted to embrace and take in wisdom, but the fool despises wisdom. Notice what he says in just Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It all begins right here. It all begins in this place. It all begins with a lack of humility. Those who exercise the pride of the heart, who live out their own pride, even though they may say they're humble, are those who do not fear the Lord. And not fearing the Lord is to despise the the wisdom of God, the skillful acknowledgement and understanding of what God says, and instruction or restraint. So the question is asked of fools... Here, particularly if you look over in verse 22, the question is asked, How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? How long? A scoffer delights themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge. In other words, how long will you fools hate wisdom? Listen, if we as influencers, fathers, grandfathers, those who are influencing somebody else's life, want to have a progeny behind us, those who are following us, be fools, then we need to be teaching them to despise wisdom. We need to be teaching them to not fear the Lord. It's a biblical axiomatic truth. That if we hate instruction, if we hate the truth of the Word of God, and we aren't putting it to practice, then the opposite will be true of us. We are then by way of practice, regardless of what we say, we are haters, we are despisers of wisdom. We say, well, no one would do that. No one in their right mind, particularly those who believe in Jesus Christ, no one would act that way. No one would be so foolish as to actually despise wisdom, right? Well, here is what despise means in its simplest form. Despise means simply to mock, to mock. It means to sneer at or to shrug off as unimportant. So fools shrug off. Fools sneer at wisdom and instruction. You say, well, okay, how might I then be doing that and thereby teaching those who are coming after me, those under my influence to do that? How might I be doing that? Great question. Go over to Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5. Notice what Proverbs 5 verse 12 says. 
you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. And I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instruction, my instructors. You say, well, what are you trying to say? Well, here's what the scriptures are saying. As much as we learn by example, so too we teach by example. And we teach those following us to be fools each and every time we, in and of ourselves, turn our backs on gaining instruction from the truth. Each and every time we spurn the truth, each and every time we consider it of less value than what it actually is, we are actually being foolish. I think of this often in reference to the evangelical church, particularly the local church, and you've heard me say this to us at time and time and time again. Why? Because I care for us. I, I want the best for us. I, I want the best for myself. When, I, when I'm preaching to us, I'm preaching to my own heart. I'm, I'm reminding myself of these truths as I'm reminding all of us of these truths. And, and one of the ways we despise truth is each and every time we just arbitrarily in and of ourselves choose to stay away from the fellowship of the local body where God has used it in our own life and in primary means for disseminating truth to us. We just arbitrarily stay away. I remember years ago as I was in seminary and I was part of the church in which the seminary was on the campus of and and I was talking to a young man who was in seminary with me. He was a married man. He had no children. He didn't work. His wife worked 40 hours a week in order to put him through seminary and yet I never saw him at the evening time together. Rarely, if ever, did I see him come to the evening service. And I asked him one day, why is it you don't come to evening service? And he said, well, you know, I got a lot of homework to do. Of course, I knew about homework. I was in the same classes. Well, I have, you know, it's busy time. And, and I knew he didn't work a job. I knew his wife put him through school. I, I, I knew he, he didn't have any more hours of reading and study than I had or any other guy who was in seminary, and yet I never saw him there. And the last thing he said to me is, and I don't do anything in the church in the evening anyway. And I said, brother, you have a, a serious misunderstanding as to the function of you in the church as well as the church in you. I said, your, your misunderstanding is this, that you think that God only affects others' lives when you are exercising some of your quote-unquote giftedness within the body, and yet you have no idea how God is actually using you potentially in the lives of somebody else. I said, sure, you may not have some formal way in which you minister in the church at some point in time. But you have no idea how God is using your face just in the heart of someone else from across the room who sees you there faithfully each and every time they gather. You have no idea what God is doing with them in their heart as they see you. They don't know why you're there. They don't know why your heart is doing what it's doing, whether it's right or wrong before the Lord. But they see you there and God is using that in their life to influence them. He said, I never thought about it that way. I said, I know you haven't. Sadly, that never changed his actions. And sadly, he went out. 
became the pastor of a church, and frankly, he destroyed the place. Each and every time, beloved, we choose to stay away from the local body, deciding just how God would use us to build up someone else and strengthen someone else's spiritual lives simply because we don't think we're all that important to the church. Every time we stay away and have no God-glorifying reason, guess what? We are teaching those who follow us that the truth is not all that important. I remember being in seminary, waking up one morning. It was a Sunday morning. I had had a really rough week. I said to my wife, honey, let's just stay home today. She said, okay. One of the kids came in and said, Dad, are we going to church? (laughs) What was I going to say? No, I'm just tired. Don't feel like it today. Even though I didn't feel like it because of the influence we went. We are teaching those who follow us that truth is only as important as we think it is by our actions, oftentimes we mock. By our actions, we despise wisdom. Every time we choose to not bring the truth to bear in the lives of those who follow us because simply it might bring a rift between the relationship, there might be some upheaval within the relationship, it might cause some emotional difficulty, it might put some effort into to understanding the truth on our end so that we can explain it rightly on their end. Anytime we disengage from all of that and we're unwilling to go that direction simply because of our own arbitrary desire for ease and comfort, every time we choose to neglect any of that, we are despising the truth and we are training up fools behind us. Notice Proverbs 8, verse 12. We could even begin in verse 10, take my instruction and not silver knowledge rather than choice gold. This is wisdom talking. Take my instruction in verse 10, not silver. Seek after my instruction. Don't seek after that. Knowledge rather than choices of gold for wisdom is better than jewels. All the desirable things can't compare with her for I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. It's interesting that prudence and wisdom go hand in hand. Prudence and wisdom are linked. Prudence is simply care. Prudence is, is caution, good judgment. Prudence, as well as wisdom, looks ahead, calculates. In fact, if you want a good synonym for prudence, that's a good synonym. It's calculation, it's foresight, it's, it's forethought, it's thinking ahead. All of those imply attempting provision against any possible contingency. So you, you plan ahead, you're, you're thinking about the things that may come that might derail ahead of time. All of those speak of not mocking truth. And anytime we stay away from the truth, anytime we disengage from the truth, whether it's our own reading of the truth, whether it's our own listening to the truth rightly divided, or engulfing ourselves around those who, who do not walk in the truth, 
Anytime we arbitrarily do that, we are despising wisdom and we are raising up fools in our wake. I don't know where all of us are in our own lives concerning that reality, but you know. As you think about your own heart, as you think about how you think about these things, how you interact with the truth, you know where you're at before God, so what are you doing about it? Are we content with raising fools? You cannot forget the words of Jesus Christ, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How are we doing? Lesson number one, teach them to despise wisdom. Lesson number two, teach them to cultivate personal laziness. Teach them to cultivate personal laziness. Notice Proverbs 10, verse 5. Proverbs 10, verse 5, he who gathers in summer is a a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Now, of course, this is an agrarian analogy. This is the time of planting and harvesting, right? This is the time in which things are done in order to gain in the future for what it is. And shame is attached to those who are fools. Shame is the classic, in fact, description for a fool. Laziness brings shame to life. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. This is laziness. Laziness seems to be a rather epidemic in our day, doesn't it? You ask any business owner, any small business owner, any large business owner who's out there, they just can't seem to find anyone to work. And if they do find someone to work, oftentimes it's not someone who will do good work for them. When my wife and family lived down in Florida, there was a company, I don't remember what they did, I think they were a landscape company because there's a lot of them. They were some service-oriented company, and their slogan was simply this. I read it one day as I was driving, it was on their truck. Call us, this is their slogan, call us, we show up. We show up. I thought, man, what a great slogan for a company. Even in business, even in business, companies are lazy. And they miss out on potential opportunity for business because they just don't show up. I was reading a a humorous column recently that said, quote, a group of senior citizens were lounging on the patio of their retirement community And one looked up at a large flock of birds that flew over, and he leans over and he nudges his friend who had dozed off, and he says, Frank, you better move around. Those look like buzzards closing in on us. (laughs) Frank, don't be lazy in your old age. Even though we're old, you got to keep moving. Right? That's the point. That's the point of Proverbs 10, verse 5. Don't get lazy. Keep moving. Keep doing. You can't just give up. In fact, go back to Proverbs 6, because Proverbs 6 tells us 
that we can go to the smallest or one of the smallest of animals in God's creation and learn from them about how not to be lazy. Notice what he says in verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be what? Wise. Be skilled in life. Go to the ant. Watch the ant. This is God's creation. Watch it and observe and acknowledge what they're doing. Watch them and be wise. They have no chief, no officer, no ruler, and yet they prepare their food in summer. They gather their provision in harvest. And so the question is asked in verse 9, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? How long will you stay lying down, you unwise person? When will you arise from your sleep? You say, well, how do I teach those who follow after me to be lazy? I mean, how am I going to teach them to be lazy? Here's one simple way. Here's one simple way. If you have kids or those in your own home... Let your kids oftentimes go through life without making a contribution to the things in life they enjoy. In other words, just give them whatever they want. Don't let them contribute to the life they enjoy. Don't require them to to be part of the interaction and do the things that it requires for living to happen within your home. Just let them sleep in all hours of the day. Don't require them to contribute financially to their wants as they grow older and resume the responsibility and privileges that life brings. I know how it is. We all love the easy road. I I love it as much as anybody else in my own sinful heart. It's always tugging. Many of us love the bed. We love to sleep in. Feels good. Proverbs 6 asks this question, how long, how long will you lie down? How long are you going to lie there? What's going to happen if you continue to lie there? Proverbs 26 and verse 14 says it this way, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard in his bed. What a picture. A door just swinged back and forth. That's a lazy man in his bed, just flip-flopping one way, one the other way, just never doing anything. Never moving. How long are you going to just keep rolling over? The idea and the implication here is when are you going to get up? Just get up. Notice, listen. Laziness leads to other things. Proverbs 26. The sluggard just buries his hand in the dish. He's too weary even to bring it to his mouth again. That doesn't mean he's tired, he's exhausted from all the work. That means he's too lazy to even bring the fork to his mouth to feed himself. Is it any wonder the Bible says in Thessalonians, if you won't work, you won't eat. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. He won't even take counsel from others. You say, what's the cure? What's the cure? Engage in serving others, beloved. Get up. Engage. 
Stop being so self-focused on your own things. Stop making excuses as to why you can't be involved in some God-glorifying activity. Don't be lazy. Principle is only fools are lazy. Years ago, one of the I think it was either, I think it was uh, Dale Moody or someone like that. He used to pray for many, many hours in the morning. One of his students asked him, how do you, how do you pray so many hours in the morning? He used to pray from like three in the morning to seven in the morning, four hours. How do you pray like that in the morning? His first answer was simply this, I get up. I get up. I think much, many of us would would be honest in our own hearts and say, listen, the reason I don't get done what I could get done is simply because I don't get up. Don't be lazy. So lesson number one, you want to raise a fool, teach him to despise wisdom. Number two, teach them to cultivate laziness. Number three, lesson number three, teach them to follow their own heart. Oh, this is so rich. Teach them to follow their own heart. Proverbs 28 Verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Ouch. Ouch. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. The word trust means to put confidence in. It's the idea. The one who puts confidence in his own heart, the Bible calls a fool. Oh, uh, one of the most frightening statements I hear from time to time within evangelicalism, someone struggling with an issue, someone with a challenging life decision, and they're just simply saying to themselves, or they've heard someone say to them, just follow your heart. Ah, don't do that. Oh, that's frightening. That's scary. God says, don't do that. Only a fool trusts in his own heart. It's the worst thing you can do. Why? Because the heart left to itself is the most dangerous thing there is. Do you understand that? We have to understand that about ourselves and our own Christian life. If we disengage what God says and we follow our own desires of our own heart, we are in the worst kind of place. Jesus said from the heart flow every kind of wickedness. Don't follow your heart. Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. You don't want to follow your heart. You need to follow after God's heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, that the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Listen, man left to himself can't even understand his own heart. That is patently obvious in our world, is it not? 
Man is all over the place, all over the globe, and particularly here in the West, trying to define who they are and what they are by how they understand their own heart. And they, the biggest thing they don't realize is they can't know themselves by their own heart. They have to define themselves by what God says they are. And they are a fallen creature that must acknowledge a holy God and they will answer to Him for who they are. There's nothing more unsafe than to put confidence in your own heart for this life. Nothing more unsafe than that. The only answer is Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. We know these verses well. I have written them on many, many of your birthday cards. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, is that enough, Lord? Just trust in you with all my heart? Yeah, but how do you know if you're even approaching that direction? Here's the second part. Don't lean on your own understanding. The world says, hey, this is pretty wise. Hey, this is smooth. Hey, this is the right way. And you go, okay, let me find out because I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I want to find out what the heart of God is and I want to go to his word to find it there. Find it there. So God says, in all of your ways, acknowledge me and I will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. That's the cure. Trust in the Lord. And then you'll be wise. Those who follow you will be wise also. Number four. Number four. Teach them. You want to raise a fool, teach them to speak negatively of others. Teach them to speak negatively of others. Of others, we return to Proverbs 6 once again. Verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a false mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart devises evil continually, who spreads strife. It's all about the mouth. Mouth can be a very, very dangerous tool. In fact, James tells us in James 3 that it's like a flame. Just one little spark can start an entire forest on fire. That's how destructive the tongue is. It's the smallest thing, and yet it directs much. It's like the rudder on a very large ship. A small piece of equipment guides and directs the very large ocean liner through the water. That's what the tongue is. The tongue has the ability to be so destructive. And one of the ways it destroys is through lying. Lying. This is what God hates lying. In fact, the scriptures say he hates liars. Notice verse 19, a false witness who utters lies, one who spreads strife among brothers. What is that? That's one of the things the Lord hates. He hates that. A worthless person walks with a false mouth. In other words, the fool. The fool here equated as the worthless person. 
By the way, the worthless person here is described in that way by those words because it speaks of those devoid of godliness. That's what a worthless person is, one who's ungodly. So to walk in this way, to walk in a way of ungodliness is to be carrying your life as if you do not know God at all. To be one who spreads strife, to be one who lies and slanders. You're a worthless person or you're at least acting in such a way to be described in that way and therefore you're acting like you don't know God at all. That's the fool. Fool is the one who carries his life with lying. In fact, the word here, false mouth, in verse 12, the one who walks with a false mouth, the word false mouth can be translated deceit. Deceit. It's the word for baiting a fish. It's the idea. In other words, a fool speaks with luring words. Deceitful words. Words that are there, but they're not there as, as something real. They're there with a hook in it. They're there with a catch. Words that bait. Words that catch others wrongfully. Words that draw others in to the problem, to the deal, to the difficulty. They spread strife, as it says in verse 14. So worthless ones speak highly about themselves and they embellish themselves. They, they tell lies about who they really are and they complain about others. They complain about others to others. They spread strife. They argue against the truth, in fact. That's their heart. Their heart isn't to receive truth. Their heart is to just argue against the truth. Notice Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. What's that look like by way of his own heart? Well, he's quarreling against all sound wisdom. A fool doesn't delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. That's what a fool wants to do. It's all about them. What they can do, how they can ensure that their point is brought out. The worst form of that kind of lying is gossip. Gossip. Because gossip are just lies. They're just spreading strife. Like Proverbs 10 Verse 18 says, He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Verse 21, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. In fact, doing wickedness, verse 23, is like sport to a fool. It's like a game. It's, it's what he's exercised in. But so is wisdom to a man of understanding. So if there's some kind of hating going on, Proverbs says, uncover it. Uncover it. Expose it. But never be part of spreading it to others because God hates that. God hates 
spreading of strife, particularly among brethren. Well, this is serious stuff, isn't it? This is very serious stuff. It's very pointing, very direct, very heart exposing to us. We're going to raise a fool, teach him to despise wisdom. We're going to raise a fool, cultivate laziness, teach him to do that. We're going to raise a fool, then teach them to trust in themselves, follow their own heart. We're going to raise a fool, then teach them to speak negatively to others. Last, number five. We're going to raise a fool, teach them to mock at sin. Teach them to mock at sin. Proverbs 14, verse 5 says, A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness speaks lies. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness speaks lies. Notice verse 9, fools mock at sin. But among the upright, there is good will. Fools mock at sin. We know what mock is. We've already talked about that. Simply could say it this way. Don't take your sin seriously. That's mocking at sin. Don't take your sin seriously. And when you do that, you will train up fools behind you. Remember how the Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter 6? Romans chapter 6, in exhorting the believers how to deal with sin, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you because you are not under law, but under grace. Don't let sin reign over you. Don't let sin reign in you. In other words, utterly destroy it first. How do you destroy sin? Starve it to death. Don't let it rain. Don't give it away to feed. What happens? What happens when we don't do that? <coughs> what happens when, when we exercise the opposite of what Proverbs is teaching us to not do? Well, I want to just show us this quickly in the Old Testament. Go over to Numbers. 33. Numbers 33, of course, we understand this is Israel who has now left Egypt. God has miraculously brought them out of Egypt. Numbers 33, they're receiving instruction from God about how to deal with life. They're under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, and Moses records all the places that they're commanded to go by the Lord. And then he speaks to them. Verse 50. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, and he said this, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, 
Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and live in it. For I have given the land to you to possess it. So here's the command of God. God says, go into the land. I've, I've redeemed you out of Egypt. You're, you're here now. Cross the Jordan. Go into the land of Canaan and possess what I've given you and do it this way. Right? Destroy all the figured stones. Drive out the inhabitants of the land. Destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. In other words, destroy every form of worship that is out there that isn't the worship of me. And take possession of the land. Because I gave it to you. And you shall, verse 54, inherit the land by lot according to your families. To the larger you shall give more of an inheritance. To the smaller you give less an inheritance. Whatever the lot falls to anyone, it shall be his. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. Now notice verse 55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, and that implies that if you don't drive them out, you don't drive out and wreck their altars and their molten images and their God. If you don't do that, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain of them, they will become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land in which you live. And it shall come about that as I plan to do to them, so I will do to you. So it's pretty clear instruction. You go in, you do as I say. I am your God to love me with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be wise in living, to carry yourself in the way that is honoring and glorifying to me with your life. You go in, you do what I say to you. And if you don't, it's going to be trouble for you. In fact, that trouble is going to come through them by my hand. What I plan to do to them, I will do to you. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Once again, God giving warning. Verse, chapter 6 and verse 24, 25, he says, So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. And it will be righteous for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. Chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and shall clear away the nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, and you shall defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. Make no covenant with them, and show no favor to them. Don't even intermarry with them, verse 3. Don't give your daughters to their sons. You're not going to take their daughters for your sons. Why? Because they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. Once again, he tells them, tear down their altars, tear down their sacred pillars and places, their graven images, burn them with fire, because you're a holy people. Over to Joshua. Over to Joshua 23. Moses is now off the scene. Joshua is on the scene. He's leading the people. He's led them into the promised land. They've divided the land. 
Joshua's giving his farewell address. Verse 11, he says, Take heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you. Ah, there's a sign right there. They didn't do already what they've asked. It's already troublesome. There's some that remain among them. God had already told them to not have any remain among them. And yet here it is. These which remain among you and you intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap to you, a whip on your sides, thorns on your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Already you've seen a decline. Already you've seen in just a few short years, really, that the nation of Israel has been taken out of Egypt by God's gracious hand. God graciously has led them to the place where He's given them an inheritance. He gives them the command in order to go in and do what He says to, to glorify and honor His name. They go in and they do some of that. And even under Joshua's command, they didn't do it all. And Joshua now is going off the scene. And they are still not doing what He said. Turn over to Judges chapter 2. Judges 2. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never make my covenant with, break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And it came about when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bohem, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. Why do I show us all that? Simply to say this, what's the cure? What's the cure for their foolishness? What's the cure for our foolishness? What's the cure for our disobedience to God in how Possibly and inevitably, we at times have led others into foolishness. What's the cure? The cure is simply to repent. Go to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30 ends with such wonderful words. The words of Agur, the son of Jekah, the oracle, the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ukal, surely I am more stupid than any man. And I do not have the understanding of a man, neither have I learned wisdom, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. 
the one who has ascended into heaven and descended, who has gathered the winds in his fists, who has wrapped the waters in his garment, who has established all the ends of the earth, who is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God is tested. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. For two things, two things I ask from thee. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. What's the cure? Simply this, acknowledge our sin. Acknowledge our sin and refuse to repeat it again. Acknowledge our sin and refuse to go back there. Proverbs says, if we do that, we do that, then we are in the place whereby we are fearing the Lord, which is the place of wisdom. And if we are there, then we will, at least by way of our actions and under our influence, show others that are our heritage the way of wisdom. We will lead them in a path in which they too can be wise. It's our only hope. To do anything else is to leave a heritage that is foolish. And certainly I know none of us here who claim Jesus Christ would want to do that. And so through the power of the Spirit, by means of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we can follow what God says. We can do the things that are right, and when we're wrong, turn from them, repent. Walk in the way of righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for wisdom. Certainly, as we are here this morning, our hearts are convicting us as to the reality that we have spurned it so often and very far too often. Even in my own heart, as I think about my own life and the way in which The world is so tempting. The heart is so deceitful. The laziness is so easy. Foolishness is right there at the door. Lord, thank you for guiding us in wisdom. Thank you for being wisdom personified. For giving us the perfect way. For allowing us to be part of your family and join in your kingdom that we could be equipped to even walk in any way wisely. Thank you for forgiving our sins in Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing us to glorify your name even in our foolishness. Lord, help us to acknowledge you in every way, to not trust in our own heart, to teach others that there is no other way other than through Jesus Christ. And so we worship the only living and true God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
by the power of the Spirit, according to the Scriptures alone, all to your glory. We pray these things in honor to you for it all. In Christ's name, amen.